on this episode. There's nothing that's been a greater teacher to me than travel and interacting with different cultures. And uh, I, I do a lot of work with children of war. So I've, I've deployed on several missions to war zones or conflict areas where we bring relief to children of war. Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe. This is Big Conversations, Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. This is a special edition of our podcast, Big Conversations, Your Choice. I'm all excited. I know you should be excited. (laughs) Now, this is is kind of a big deal. We we normally steer clear of politics. (laughs) Why would you want to do that? We are diving right in to the California Senate race. We have a Senate seat open, and we today have with us Christina Pascucci, who has a history here in the Coachella Valley. She is a, yeah. a, a great broadcaster, uh, a tremendous television talent, who's been working in L.A. for many years after a couple years stint here at KMIR Television. But she is now a Democratic candidate for the seat of Senate, United States Senator. That's right. I kind of got lost in your words there with your voice. You it's sound not, like every time, yeah. every time we start the podcast, I kind of phase out for a few minutes. Yeah, I blacked out. To draw you Between in. that and the uh, bling pinky ring he has. I, <laughs> I actually had a kid ask me one day if that was a Super Bowl ring, and I said, yes, yes, it is. Because You're lying linebacker. to the children? <laughs> yes, You're lying to a the lot. children. All right. So I am here. My name is Patrick Evans. I'm here with my co-host, Randy Florence, our producer, John McMullen. And we're, we're, we're taking a little bit of a deep dive into the Senate race because it's a big deal. The Senate seat opened up uh, by the, the lion of the Senate, Diane Feinstein, passing away. Uh, her seat has been filled by an appointment. And I will point this out. The appointment actually, a, a woman who has a home in California but has been calling Maryland her home for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But she has announced she's not running. And you are. How does Senator Christina Pascucci sound? I think it has a ring to it. it you guys can't say. It. You can't say exactly because I know you're going to invite the other candidates. Can't be biased here, but I'm just saying. We're we're here to discuss your candidacy, and we invite all of the others. Uh, but we've got local candidate Steve Garvey, who I'm sure you know. I saw your, him last night. You saw him last night. We it didn't was very see him last night. He didn't, he didn't come here. No. Yeah. Okay. See what I'm talking all about? Right. Hey, but you're here. But you're here. <laughs> all right. Before we get into this Senate thing, I, I've got a couple of questions because we've known Dude. each other off and on over the years because yeah. we work in the same business in the same town. Pescucci, obviously an Italian name. So I'm just a little bit, a little bit, a little, (laughs) little Italian. Um, We thought you were Irish, but then we were corrected. (laughs) Where in the boot? Where's your family come from? I can ask that question because I'm Italian. Yeah, from Roma. Uh, What about yours? Uh, we are Napolitan. Uh, apparently, there's a whole little town of Pascucci's. I don't know if this is true because I haven't had a chance to uh, double check these facts. <laughs> so don't quote me on this. But there was another Pascucci I met once, and he said, "Do you know there's a whole town of us in Italy?" So is that right? We need That's to investigate. Cool. Yeah, but my mother is German, and and so I'm actually a first immigration. Uh, sorry, first generation college graduate and first generation American on that side. So that's kind of cool. And where in Germany is your mother from? München. München. Yeah. How's that? Uh, how's that? This is a black Manhattan. It's a made with. Um, it's not as jet- good as the first three were. Three is my limit. I'd be asleep by now if I had three of these. Uh, all right. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about your history here in the Coachella Valley. 
because you were on KMIR mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Hey, Skip Page has joined us, Skip ladies and gentlemen. Skip Page! Woohoo! Yeah, I, I actually, I was just there. I did an interview there. I started getting teary-eyed walking into that studio because so many memories were made here in the Coachella Valley. I was here for two years, but it just, it, it had such a massive impact on me. And I still am in touch with so many of the friends I met here. And, and I miss it a lot. I think it's what one of the best places to live. What did you take away from here? Well, being in a small town... <laughs> Everyone knowing everyone's business. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. It was just a special place. You know, I, I would uh, I would get into work around midnight after going to the restaurant and the few bars in town at the time. I feel like they've built up here a lot since I was here. And so some a of them has changed. <laughs> How long have you been when, when, when About 10 years. About 10 years. And yeah. you went to L.A. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about your L.A. broadcasting career. So I, I worked for KTLA for 10 years uh, and then worked at Fox for a year. And it's been an amazing career. I've traveled to 100 countries, seven continents, war zones. I'm now a war correspondent. Uh, interviewed the Dalai Lama in India. I always, I always tried to think outside of the box of what a typical local news reporter would do. So stop for just a moment because this is important for me. Yes. Meeting the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? And, and how did it physically take place? So it started with a story in Los Angeles, in Anaheim, I believe it was actually, where I saw this really cute story about kids committing a, a million acts of kindness. And the Dalai Lama was involved in that. And so I, I pitched it to my producer. I said, hey, you know, I know it's not hard news that we typically would do, but this is a feel-good story. You could use some of that in news from time to time, right? So we covered it, and I met his personal emissary for peace, and he became my meditation partner. <laughs> and then one thing led to the next, and I uh, interviewed the Dalai Lama in Irvine for his birthday, and then he invited me to his palace in India. And he was so disarming. My cameraman was extremely nervous and he was trying to mic him and as he was micing him he was shaking and Dalai Lama looks up at my cameraman with this little mischievous twinkle in his eye and he grabs my cameraman's beard and shakes it and he says when people take themselves too seriously I like to lighten them up and he had this belly laugh that was infectious. You know it's interesting uh, in a book called The Book of Joy which was mm-hmm. an interview between the Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu. Yes. That story is told in it really? about him grabbing the beard and shaking no it. No way. That story is in there. I knew Wow. It. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So he's shaking more than one beard. Yeah. Well, do you think it was the same beard? Or? <laughs> yeah. well, it sounded like a, a pretty beard. familiar now, story. A, maybe and it's his M.O. He is a pacifist, so he should be disarming. <laughs> really, that's <laughs> really the business he's in. Nice. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Puns are the lowest hanging fruit, but... That's what I'm here to do. Uh, so you spend a couple of years here. The L.A. career was was pretty amazing. Obviously, you had to resign that position to run because running for office is a conflict, conflict of interest. Conflict of interest. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. A- and you would get too much airtime. You just can't be. <laughs> right. It wouldn't uh, be fair. But uh, th- all of the travel, all of the work you did, that wasn't just television station work. Like, no, no, it wasn't. It was it was my personal passion. I think it's so important. There's there's nothing that's been a greater teacher to me than travel and interacting with different cultures. And uh, I I do a lot of work with children of war. So I've, I've deployed on several missions to war zones or conflict areas where we bring relief to children of war, um, you know, in the Middle East or in Ukraine. I went during the war there. Uh, we've also worked in Latin America. So... Tell me a little bit about that, because that clearly isn't 
through the television station. I mean, my television station won't send me to banning. So. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> same. Okay, so it's, there's Only a Only because they know you can get back from banning. Right. <laughs> well, that's true. They might send me to Ukraine. <laughs> so uh, I... There is a couple things there. One, with the children of war stuff, I was, I was deeply involved in my local community and working with underserved communities and foster youth and homeless families and um, then globally working with sex trafficking victims, children sex trafficking victims specifically, and children of war. And so um, that was kind of my alter ego, what I did when I wasn't working. But even at work, I would negotiate ways in which to go internationally. Like I did a story on the changing climate in Antarctica which typically, you know, you wouldn't go to Antarctica on assignment. Uh, and then I went to the Arctic toward the North Pole, and I did a story on two women there for Fox. So I think it's about creating the possibility and thinking outside of the box. And a big theme of my life and what I would bring to the campaign, too, is, is thinking differently. You know, people say, oh, well, this is how you do it, or this is how it's been done. And, and I always like to kind of break that mold. All right, so you are... Uh, a newlywed, essentially. I mean, how long have you guys been married? Uh, I think around three years. Okay. That still counts. You are <laughs> he would roll his eyes right now. <laughs> you're expecting your first child, mm-hmm. and you are embarking on a Senate campaign. Yes. So should we be questioning your <laughs> my sanity? Your sanity? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. I think that I, I would love to rewrite what's possible for women. And a lot of people say, oh, you're pregnant and you're doing this. And it's a totally fair question, but it's possible. And thankfully, I have a supportive husband and and the will to fight for my daughter's future. I've never been or had so much conviction to do anything in my life. And it is because I cannot accept this California for her future. What do you perceive as the flaws in California that you want to correct? Well, I first want to say that I... Love this state. I think we live in one of the best places on earth. And it it has unlimited potential, resources, innovative minds. But we're, like, strangling ourselves in in all of this over-regulation, over-taxing, scaring businesses out of here. Um, Obviously, there's a huge homelessness crisis. There's public safety. People don't feel safe walking in their neighborhoods. And that's that's not okay. We're so much better than that. And in addition to that, we don't support... Our society on the most basic level, in my opinion, meaning when you look at how we've underinvested in education for decades, why? How, how has that not been prioritized? To me, that's the foundation of everything else. And as a mother to be something else that's very important is supporting young families. Maternity leave is very important. I wouldn't have had that at my last job fully. I would have had a very small part of my pay. Uh, also, childcare for young families. I mean, I, I don't know how we can expect to have a thriving society if we're not supporting our families from the outset. One of the things we're talking about, I've been talking about locally, is the impact on child care, the challenges with child care. And it feels like in this valley, you know, you've got a situation where, where people aren't making enough money, inflation's going up, and at some point, the couple has to make a decision on who's going to stay home and watch the kids because they can't afford childcare anymore. Um, is 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 there anything that can be done from 
a political standpoint to start raising attention to that and coming up with answers? Because it feels like we're going to lose generations of women because typically the woman is the one who stays home to watch the kids. Exactly, yes. And when you couple that with just how expensive it is to exist in this state currently... Yes, Patrick? You no, look like go ahead. Okay. It looked like you're about to say He was going to borrow some money from you. But uh, okay. Just, <laughs> no. it's expensive She's worked in L.A. for yeah. a long time. She's got, got a lot of money. Uh, I work here in Palm Springs. And absolutely, it's important to shine a spotlight on it and to bring that to the forefront. It's there. Imagine what we could do with our economy if you had that population in the workforce and not having to choose between watching their kids or, you know, going back to work. Yeah. All right, so you've staked out a couple of positions here, and I just want to clarify, because uh, you, you mentioned, and we do live in a high-tax state and a high-regulation state, mm-hmm. but if we're going to provide child care, it's going to require taxation. Where does that money come from? If And it, it sounds to me like you're kind of walking a fence here, because if we're going to lower taxes... That may mean providing fewer services. Mm-hmm. So, but you're talking about increasing services, especially for uh, parents. Yeah, it's a, that's an important question, and thank you for creating that distinction because it depends what you're talking about. When I talk about overtaxing, I'm thinking specifically of, of small businesses, for example, or businesses that are trying to do uh, to thrive in California that we've seen in Exodus where they're moving out because they just say it's getting too expensive. It's much more appealing to do business with other states. I, I do think there has to be a balance between taxing and, um, and other methods like providing tax incentives or tax credits, things like that, to create the full picture. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense. I, and I'm a small business owner, and we get taxed. It doesn't sound like a lot, but every year as a corporation in California, we get hit with a $800 bill uh, just, just for existing. It's not based on yeah. income. It's not based on re- receipts mm-hmm. or sales or, or, or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just based on you exist, you owe us 800 bucks, And that's exactly. hard. Uh, so I, I appreciate your stance, but... It, you know, if we are going to provide more services, how do you make that distinction? Where do you where do you draw the line? Like, if we're if we're going to take from something to give to something else and provide more childcare, that that probably means we're cutting some other areas. Yeah, I mean, first you have to have the political will, and I think that when you're looking at adding women to the workforce and you're stimulating the economy, the money's coming from other areas long term. And so that's very important. And, and what you just mentioned, it's not about, it's not just about what you're being taxed, but then small businesses that are dealing with smashing grabs and, you know, <laughs> the other... We've had that in this town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's rampant in Los Angeles. It's rampant in San Francisco. There are people who are told to not even come to work in parts of San Francisco because they just said it's too dangerous. That's crazy. That's not a reality we should accept. Yeah. I, I want to get back because it seems to me that everything we're talking about, we can't do anything about it until we start talking about it. One of the things that I, I think I read, you said that you had a couple of um, role models, Diane Feinstein, Mitt Romney, and what you liked about them was the more bipartisan nature. Mm. Yeah. It seems to me that we have to get to that point because right now, most politicians I know 
are telling me I have to feel this way because I'm Democrat or I have to feel this way because I'm Republican. And I don't hear anybody saying I have to do this because I'm an American. So how do we get back to that bipartisan side? Right. So, yeah, I did mention them as people who I I appreciate how they were open minded to hearing views that they necessarily didn't agree with. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really important to always have that conversation. And right now we're so addicted to being right, pointing the finger at one another, casting blame. And it's just, it's a waste of time and it's BS. So I grew up with staunch Republican parents and a big part of my upbringing was sitting at the dinner table and hashing things out and, and disagreeing and arguing over different stances. Some we agree on, but many we don't. And so I think just having that experience was extremely formative because I... I just I understand how to speak the language of people who disagree with me and also having traveled to all these places and just hearing different perspectives. I'm very open to having that conversation. And that's the first step. It's also important. So I mentioned speaking the language. So, for example, when we're we all want a clean environment as you know, one example. And when you say certain things like climate change, that's triggering for Republicans and you probably won't get as far. So it's just why, why do that? Why not just come in? find the common ground, what we all want to fight for, and legislate from there. Simple things like that. Nobody wants dirty air or dirty water. Right. Like it, uh, and I, I think that's a safe assumption. I, like, no. I think we can safely say. <laughs> I'm going to run on that platform. Nobody on either side. All right. Um, you said you come from staunch Republican parents. You're running as a Democrat. An independent Democrat, we call it. And I think that's a differentiating factor. Okay. So talk a little bit about that. Because there are... Uh, there are pretty powerful people running for this seat, including Adam Schiff from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, who has, I think, an inside track, given his support by Nancy Pelosi and uh, a, you know, a broad wing of the Democratic Party. How do you make inroads there? So, yeah, when I was watching how the race was shaping up, that was in part what compelled me to run because I just thought I can't handle more of the same. And all these people who are running are, are part of the lack of bipartisanship that we see. They're polarizing figures, they're lightning rods, and I, I don't see them reaching across the aisle in a way that we need in order, like that's truly how we save our democracy at this point. Our democracy is at stake, and if we keep playing this, my side is right, you, I win, you lose, rather than coming together as Americans, it's gonna be detrimental for the future of this country. It already has been. So um, to answer your question, I think it's just a matter of, of I did a lot of research going into this race. I know that I have the financial support and I think I'm a fresh voice and my message is already resonating with a lot of people. The response has been tremendous. We've had national coverage on it and a lot of people who uh, actually were working with the other candidates who want to fundraise for me. Obviously, this is an expensive endeavor. Running for the Senate, U.S. Senate in California is going to be a multi-million dollar experience. How do you raise those dollars? Well, a big part of the, what costs so much is the, the uh, advertisements across the state, you know, TV ads. That could be up to $12 million a week if you're trying to get into every market, and it's ridiculous. I'm a millennial. I don't think you need to reach people through TV anymore, and so I can cut costs significantly and have a pretty big impact. Uh, I, I speak differently than a politician. You know, I have heart. I care. I have compassion in the right way, not, not this, like, fake compassion we sometimes see, but, like, you know, I genuinely care about people, and... Um, I, I can reach them on social media. I can reach them other ways. And we're going to have a strategy that is a little bit unconventional. 
So in the last couple of minutes that we have, last minute here, I want to give you the chance to, to talk to the audience. What do we want to know about why you should be our next senator? I care, and I have a bold, fresh vision for this state. We need new voices. We need younger voices represented. Uh, I'm the only candidate that speaks Spanish. I've been very involved in the Latino community my entire adult life, working with underserved communities as well. And all too often we see candidates who just come around when they want the votes. That's not me. I've been in the trenches with the people of California for almost two decades, listening to what they care about, hearing how they feel like they've been ignored. And I want them to feel seen and heard. And that's my goal as a future senator of California. <laughs> we come from a time and a place where there's a lot of disrespect for journalism out there. And I, you know, I make my living as a, as a uh, meteorologist at a local television station. Uh, a lot of mud is slung at, at journalists. You know, you hear the term fake news. So talk a little bit about your experience as a journalist and how that applies and makes you qualified for a candidate as a Senate. Well, a couple of things there. So I am very proud of my track record as a journalist. I have never shown bias. Their viewers have no idea where I stand. And when I announced I was running as an independent Democrat, they didn't know that I was a Democrat. So to me, that was a win. Did I tell you guys earlier what independent Democrat means? I don't think we actually got that. I'll just say it real quick. It's, it's seeing things through the eyes of an objective journalist lens, not through the eyes of party politics. Because seeing it through the eyes of party politics is what I think is ruining us, in part. So, uh, what was it? What was, back to your question, though. Remind me what it was. <laughs> Tell me how your experience as a journalist uh, prepares you to uh, be a, a, a U.S. senator. Yes. So, I mean, who else studies all the issues? I've studied all the issues that are plaguing our state and our world. I I know a lot about these different things. I've seen firsthand easy ways in which we can create common sense solutions that I am very excited to employ if I were to win this this race. And also, uh, in terms of just the craziness of being a journalist, having names hurled at you, having crazy hours, not really having a, a life, <laughs> you know? I think it's prepared me perfectly for politics. <laughs> for not having a life. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. All right. Uh, I want to talk a little... We only have a couple of minutes left. But you've spent a lifetime in journalism, uh, and you're translating that to the world of politics. And you've studied a lot of politics over the years. Yeah. What, what drew you into this race? What, what made you decide? I mean, because we have a pretty good gig as journalists. <laughs> I've, I've been involved. Uh, I fought for legislation and, and been very involved in, in working with local communities over the years. I advocated in Sacramento. I brought my little sister from the Big Brothers Big Sisters program up to Sacramento with me, and we advocated for homeless families, and we passed a bipartisan bill. Uh, or helped pass a bipartisan bill, SB 1065, that helps them. Uh, so I've been passionate about it for a long time. I think the reason that this race was so important and called my name is because the Senate sets the tone for the rest of the world. The world is watching us, and they're losing respect for us. And we need leaders who make sense, leaders who command respect, and leaders who, who get their voters excited. You know, not, not the same talking head politicians. Why didn't you start at perhaps the city council level? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, yeah. the Senate is a big bite. I mean, you were in L.A. for a long time. I think that you have a lot of credibility in L.A. You, you could have made a run for city council in L.A. and been a very credible candidate. 
I think there are very few politicians that have the type of experience that I have, not only across the state of California, but also internationally. I mean, having been to more than 100 countries across seven continents, you learn a lot about the world. I have a very firm grasp on geopolitics and understand, you know, foreign policy. And that's something the Senate deals with extensively, as you know, which is very important for people. I mean, I'm not... I don't want to throw rocks at anyone. I'm not I'm not sure how well traveled, you know, some of the other senators are. Or how much it seems like sometimes there's a lack of understanding, um, and I think it's important to have to have those interactions with people from around the world on that scale. And then also just understanding the issues, having exposed the issues, having interviewed so many uh, countless politicians. I mean, I have a firm grasp on on how politics works, and I'm ready for this. I'm ready to be. A U.S. Senator. All right. My last question, and this is going to be a very pertinent question about what's going on right now. There is a war in the Middle East, and there is debate about funding for Israel and their uh, war with Hamas, and there is a war going on in Europe, and it's a shooting war, and we've been funding it at a pretty high level. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand on both of those issues? So when it comes to Ukraine, I do think we need to support democracy and support Ukraine. And I think we need to pay attention to where the money's going. Uh, it seems like we're throwing money and not, like where's the accountability for, for where it is going and how it's being used. I think that's a very important distinction to take into consideration. And when it comes to Israel, on a personal note, when I was in my early 20s, I found out I was Jewish. My grandmother had to hide her religion to survive the Holocaust. And my mom didn't even tell me until, you know, my grand my grandmother had died 20 years prior. And so to have that personal experience and just see what Jews have endured, the rise of anti-Semitism, I think it's so important to support the people of Israel uh, and to support Israel in this war. I also, as a humanitarian who who's worked with children of war, including uh, Palestinian kids in the past, I think it's so important. You were just there. Yeah, I was just in Israel last week. Um, but I think it's important to minimize civilian casualties not only because it's the right thing to do, but also because ultimately you you harbor more extremism when you give them a reason to hate America or hate Israel. And um, so I just I think it's important to keep that humanitarian perspective in mind and to unequivocally condemn Hamas and what they did. And the fact that is controversial is extremely concerning. Agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm there on all of that. I don't want to add anything more to that because that's the perfect way to end this podcast. Christina Pascucci, thank you very much. Candidate for U.S. Senate here in the state of California, former journalist, former resident of the Coachella Valley. Appreciate your candid, you, just your candid answers to the questions today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, you and made it, it easy. This, uh, this virgin margarita I'm drinking got me talking. <laughs> oh, well, good. <laughs> it is also, uh, and I'm just going to say on a personal note, you know, we knew each other when you were at, at KMIR and I was at CBS Local 2. It's really fun to reconnect. And yeah. uh, we, uh, we appreciate your time today. It's an honor to be here. Great to meet you. This is the best skinny virgin spicy margarita I've ever had. This is the best real, non-skinny, non-virgin black <laughs> Manhattan that I've had in a very And I just want time. Skip to know that all I'm drinking is Coke. All you're sporting is My second is co Coke. <laughs> no, drinking Coke. It is my second Coke. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a special edition of Big Conversations, your choice. I'm Patrick Evans, our producer, John McMullen, our host, Skip Page, and my co-host, 
Randy Florence. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations, Little Bar, with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System. Thank you.